Well, today we're going to be talking about the ascension and mission. Martyrs to the ends of the earth. That sounds very daunting, doesn't it? Martyrs, ooh, that doesn't play well in today's society. That word has been hijacked. It doesn't mean what you read in the headline news. It is, in fact, your identity as brothers and sisters in Christ. And we're going to talk about that today. But let's start with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Heavenly Father, we come before you, and we praise your holy name. Send forth your Holy Spirit and enlighten us tonight. I pray that your glory be made manifest and not mine. I pray that your words are spoken and not mine. I pray that you would just enlighten our hearts. Fill us full of your glory and majesty. Help us to realize our mission in this world, to be your martyrs, Lord. And so we pray the, the prayer that the family of God always prays. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. It was dark on that first day when Mary went to the tomb seeking the one whom her soul loves, but finding him not. Upon my bed by night, I sought him whom my soul loves. I sought him, but found him not. I called him, but he gave no answer. I will rise now and go about the city, in the streets and in the squares. I will seek him whom my soul loves. I sought him, but found him not. The watchmen found me as they went about in the city. Have you seen him whom my soul loves? Scarcely had I passed them. When I found him whom my soul loves, I held him and would not let him go until I brought him into my mother's house and into the chamber of her that conceived me. That was written just about a thousand years before Mary Magdala went to the tomb that day. John chapter 20, starting in verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, when it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away. So she ran. Verse 11. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and she wept and stooped, to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white sitting there with the body where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Saying this, she turned and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom do you seek? Supposing him to be the gardener. She said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, 
Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not hold me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and said to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Whom do you seek? At the very first possible moment, the earliest part of Sunday, after the Sabbath had passed, she's up and she's at the tomb, searching for him whom her soul loves. Notice the language, though. When she sees the two watchmen, the angels, she calls him Kyrios, Lord. But then when she sees Jesus and he reveals himself to her, she calls him Rabboni, and she lays hold of him. I mean, do you blame her? It's kind of comfortable, isn't it? When you see your Lord, you just want to grab a hold of him, and you don't want to let go. Jesus, it's just me and you right now. Let's just stay right here, okay? Let's just go nowhere. Let's go back to business as usual. I've got you again. I'm not losing you this time. But there's something greater. There's something far more powerful that she's missing. But I can't blame her. I mean, I'd do the first, that'd, that'd be the first thing I would do if I saw my Lord. But instead of calling him Kyrios, Lord, she calls him Rabboni, teacher. It's so far below the intimacy of her soul longing for Jesus. Notice also, the stage that's set before you and the characters that are performing this wondrous resurrection. You're in a garden. There are two angels. There is a woman named or called Mary. And then there is a gardener called Jesus. Notice these characters. This should remind you of another character, of another scene played out in salvation history. Genesis chapter 2 and 3. There in 2.15, the man Adam is placed in the sanctuary garden. And he is told to kill, to till, and to keep it. To be the gardener. And from his side in Genesis 2.23 comes woman, his equal. Bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. And God sets cherubim over them to protect them. And when they fall from grace, these same watchmen, these messengers, these angels are placed at the east gate to block with a fiery sword and protect the way to the tree of life, lest they eat and live forever in their sins. You have a new garden in the Garden of Calvary. A new man, the last Adam, as St. Paul calls him. And there with a new woman and new watchmen. Only this garden is conspicuously absent from one crucial character. The great Nahash, the serpent. There is no serpent in this new garden, is there? Because Jesus Christ has defeated him, raised from the dead, defeating sin and death, and 
bringing us out, a new exodus out of the slavery of sin, leading us to that promised land where he ascends to his throne. But Mary's grabbing on to him, desperately desiring for things just to be normal, Lord. I need things to be normal. I mean, time, these times are tough. I need things to be normal. Mary, don't lay hold of me. It reminds us of St. Peter on the mountain of transfiguration, Matthew's gospel, chapter 17. Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up the mountain, and there he begins to be transfigured into his glory, shining bright as the sun. And Moses and Elijah appear on his sides, conversing with him about his coming exodus. What does Peter say? Oh, this is awesome. Lord, I got it. This is what we're going to do. I'm going to build some tents, right? Some tabernacles. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah, and we're never going to leave. We're just going to stay right here. Oh, Lord, I need things to be just this way forever. Forget about that world down there, Lord. They can just let them go. Forget about them. That's just me and you right here, right here. Oh, Mary, don't lay hold of me. I have not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren and tell them that I am ascending to my Father and their Father with the gift of His presence, His parousia, comes the task of being His messenger to His brethren. When you have His presence, you can't lay hold of Him. Instead, you are to take his presence to his brethren. You are his martyrs, his witnesses. That's what the Greek word martyr means, his witness. So you have the gift and task of his presence. Now, our Lord stays with him. He stays with him 40 days, just like the people of Israel were in the wilderness for 40 days, 40 years, making their way towards the promised land. So our Lord stays with them 40 days, teaching them all about the kingdom. Acts chapter 1 says this, starting in verse 4, quote, And while staying with them, he charged them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, from jo- for John baptized with water, But before many days, you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said this, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go. Notice in verse 4, he stays with him is what my translation says. The Greek word is the same Greek word for salt. Literally, he eats 
salt. He's eating salt. Salt is used for what? To preserve food. It's also a, an idiom, which meant he was eating with them. He is preserving his body, which is the church, which is the Holy Eucharist. He's preparing his disciples for that greatness that is coming in his ascension. But he's eating with them. Wait a second. That rings a bell. Luke chapter 22. Didn't he say, I will not eat again until the kingdom of God comes? Huh. Here he is eating with them. Which begs the question, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? How did you whiz, guys? Here you go again. You're so close. You're just that far off. You're thinking like Mary in the garden. You're thinking like Peter on the mountain of transfiguration. You need to think bigger. More glorious than that. What does our Lord say to Pontius Pilate in John chapter 18, verse 33 and following? Quote, Pilate entered the praetorium again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord? Or did others, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have handed you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingship is not of this world. If my kingship were of this world, my servants would fight that I might not be handed over to the Jews. But my kingship is not from the world. Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this I was born. For this I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? Up until just recently, the oldest copy of a portion of the Gospels that we had into, in, our, in our hands was from the Gospel of John. And it was just a small piece of fragment and it said, what is truth? Think about that. In your society today. To them, they are Pilate. What is truth? My truth is whatever I make it. I walk out that door, I make my own truth. Truth is a person. It is Jesus Christ. And when he calls your name, will you turn to him as Mary did and say, Rabboni? Or do we just think of him as the gardener? Because when he calls your name and those who seek truth seek him, you respond. But Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. And so there they are, looking up into the sky, wondering if the kingdom on earth will be established. The kingdom of creation is established, not the kingdom of earth, guys. Get with it. Earthly kings sit on earthly thrones. They rule it was just mistake after mistake after mistake. Jesus Christ is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. His throne is above the heavens, above the powers and the principalities of this world. Did not Satan offer him an earthly kingdom when he was in the wilderness for 40 days? And he turned it down. Why? Because he's got something so much greater. Do not lay hold of me. 
There's something greater. You're missing it. But go and be my witness, my martyr to my brothers. So he's eating with them, preserving himself, rising to his, his kingdom. And again, they're thinking not like they should. And his kingdom is not of this world. It is above the heavens. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1, starting in verse, or chapter 1, verse 20. Quote, Which he, God, accomplished in Christ when he raised him from the dead and made him sit at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he has put all things under his feet and has made him the head over all things for the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. For the church, he ascends, which is his body. That's powerful stuff. You are in the church of the risen one. You're thinking like, like it's all about this place. But it's not. This passes. Our heaven is our promised land. Where is heaven? Where God's will is done. Make his will done here, and you have heaven on earth. You are the church, and it is for the church that he has done this. So the Son of Man will ascend to the great throne room in the sky there, where the Ancient of Days, the Father, sits in judgment over all of creation. But here, Daniel's book, chapter 7, starting in verse 13, quote, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days, and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. His kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. The ascension is the royal enthronement. Psalm chapter 2. This is the royal Davidic psalm that was proclaimed every time a son of David ascended to the throne. And by the way, the kingdom, the dynasty of David, was the longest lasting in all of human history. You can look at any other culture, the Chinese, the Russians, anybody in Europe, at any point in time. They don't hold a candle to how many sons of David's sat on the throne without interruption. The longest dynasty in human history. Why? 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 14 and following. God says to David, I will make your son my son, and I will give him the throne forever. God's word does not return void. And here is the son of man, the true son of David, ascending to his throne. And in Psalm 2, he who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord has them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath 
and terrified them in his fury, saying, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 22 and 24, quote, But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn, the ecclesia, the church, who are enrolled in heaven, and to a judge who is God of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks more graciously than the blood of Abel. The church is where heaven and earth collide. It happens every single day on the altars of every Catholic church. But when Christ's parousia, His presence comes, there is heaven. The heavenly Jerusalem, the ecclesia, the church of the Lamb of God. Revelation chapter 5 says that He stands as a lamb, as though slain, perpetually interceding for you before the very face of the one ancient of days, the Father in heaven. This is the witness that God, Jesus, bears to God the Father through the love of God the Holy Spirit until the consummation of time. But here's the good news. This is where it gets cool. Back in Daniel chapter 7, verses 26 and 27, quote, this is a judgment on the kingdoms of earth. Quote, But the court shall sit in judgment, and his dominion shall be taken away, kingdoms of this earth, to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. Their kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey them. Do you have any idea how awesome that is? This is a judgment scene of the kingdoms of earth. Daniel mentions four. You have the Babylonians, the Medo-Persians, you have the Greeks, and then you have the Romans as the final kingdom. And from that final kingdom come those ten kings, and then there's that final king who really lays waste to the people of God. But what happens? The Son of Man, sitting on His throne in the ascension, judges them and takes away their kingdom and he gives it to his church. Huh. Ephesians chapter 2. But God, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which he loved us, even when, when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with Him, and made us sit with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Don't you know where you are? You have been raised up above all the principalities and the powers. This is where Satan really lost it. You see, he was given, and the angels were given an insight in what was coming. You see, there's a created order. You got God up here, and then with a vast difference, you start to come to his creation. 
You get the angels who are pure spirit, rational intellects. And then you come down to us who are kind of a hybrid. We're kind of a, a quirky little bunch because underneath us comes the creatures. They have a corporal body, but they have no rational intellect. And then you finally get down to plant life and amoebas and all that other stuff. But we're different because we have both a body like the animals, but also a rational intellect like the angels. But if you're an angel, you're sitting there going, oh, wait a minute, hold up. I'm higher than these people. Why would I serve them exactly? Because that's the trick. In the ascension, mankind is elevated above, along with its head, Jesus Christ. Because where the head goes, there is the body. And where the body is, there is the church. And so we're up above. So imagine. And try to put yourself in the shoes of the angels. Satan says, I will not serve. What does St. Michael do? St. Gabriel and the others. Fiat! I will serve. Imagine you're the great St. Michael. The one who was the warrior in the book of Judges. And you have to serve us? That's not really a good deal, Lord. I'm just saying, you know, I'm the great St. Michael. Have you seen Joe McLean lately? I mean, let's take him out. Let's, Let's go where nobody else is looking and see how this man is not quite what you think he is, Lord. And you want me to protect him in battle. You want me to answer to him and the rest? Yes. Because of John chapter 1, verse 14. The Word took on flesh and tabernacled among us. He has divinized humanity. And when we abide in Him, He abides in us. And then we become the inner sanctuary, the Holy of Holies, where God's most intimate, most precious dwelling occurs. Revelation chapter 21. The bride of Christ is described as a cube. Why? Because that was the shape of the Holy of Holies in the temple. That was the one place that was the most holy. And only one man can go one time a year. And he hurried in and hurried out. And he had a a rope tied around his ankle. Because if he wasn't perfectly without sin, he would drop dead. And then nobody dared go in after him to retrieve him. So they would drag his body out by a rope. And the backup high priest, the second Hakohanin, imagine being in his shoes. Oh, man, uh, did I hope I did that you know, examination of conscience. Oh, man, I hope I got it all covered. Because he had to go in there. Well, the veil has been torn in twain. Now the Holy of Holies is right here. Now heaven is right here. God does not have to span the vastness of all creation to come to you. He simply has to go across the distance of your heart. When you turn to Him, you call out for your Lord, whom your soul loves. Ponder on that for a moment. The church has been elevated in the royal ascension of the Son of David. Luke chapter 1, verses 32 and 33, Jesus is both the Son of David and the Son of God. And so He possesses the throne of His father David, but more perfectly than ever before. But let's go back to Acts. (laughs) There they are, standing, looking up. 
And the angels are going, what are we looking for? What are you doing? Why are you looking up? Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always to the close of the age. The parousia is with you in the blessed sacrament, in his abiding spirit. You are the tabernacles. And you are strengthened with the food of life, which is Jesus' body and blood, soul and divinity, poured out for you in the blessed sacrament. So Matthew 28 is what they're supposed to be doing. Acts chapter 1 is what they are doing. How often are our brothers and sisters standing there looking up? And we're like kind of there with them. We're looking up. How many brothers and sisters in Christ are looking up and trying to predict when he will come back, as the angel said. How many are trying to figure out who the Antichrist is? Or whose name equals 666? I mean, is the world going to end today? Tomorrow? How many of us are storing up because we're so worried that tomorrow's not going to be okay? It is a human thing that every human on this planet wants to know that tomorrow will be okay. But what does Jesus say? Acts chapter 11, verse 7. It is not for you to know the times or the seasons. That's actually Acts chapter 1, verse 7. It's not for you to know the times or the seasons. Matthew 6, 34. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Let the day's trouble be sufficient for the day. What arrogance it is for us to be trying to store up, looking for all of these signs, thinking that we have tomorrow. We don't even know if we're going to make it through today. Let me tell you something. Just the other day, just about a mile from my house where my wife and my five children are at every single day, two people were shot to death. Does that make me special? No. Happens every day in this country in neighborhoods we don't even want to talk about. But in the same day, two people lost their lives, almost on the same spot, and they weren't related to one another. In the morning was a a crippled man. We don't know what's going on with this man, but he had somehow lost it. The police chased him for miles. They finally pulled him over, and he taunted the deputy sheriff with a gun, fired off a round, and that deputy sheriff took his life. You don't know if you're going to have tomorrow. You don't even know if you have today. Later that afternoon, a young mother, 28 years old, had just given birth three days before, walks out of a clinic after getting her son looked at. And a desperate woman whose life is a wreck shoots her seven times, steals her baby, Imagine you're that deputy sheriff and you just killed someone. Imagine you're that woman and the reality of your situation has just set in in sobering starkness as you sit in solitary confinement. 
the destruction that we wrought on each other. Because we're too busy looking up. We're too busy storing up. And we're not moving up and out on our mission to be martyrs. We're holding on, Lord, please. Let's just, just stay right here. Let's just forget about everything else and let's just stay right here. That's not your mission. That's not who you are. That's not what Christ has died and raised and ascended into heaven for. He's given you a gift, a beautiful, beautiful gift. In tabernacling and coming and abiding in your soul, what, what grace, what grace. But are we sharing it? Are we sharing this with the world? Or are we just going to let this world pass off into oblivion, hoping that at least maybe we can make it to heaven? You know, Revelation chapter 21 tells us that nothing unclean enters heaven. Matthew 5.48, Jesus says, Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. But just a sentence or two before that, He says, Love your enemies. In the book of Ephesians, St. Paul describes Jesus' sacrifice as a fragrant offering to the Father. The book of Hebrews, we are told that you must seek peace with all men and holiness without which no one sees the Lord. How often do I, I'll speak for myself because I don't know you well enough, how often do I walk out those doors and ignore the people suffering. And I'm not just talking about the poor, the homeless. Never forget the poor and the homeless. But how about the apathetic? The lost. Jesus came to give us life. And life in abundance. Love. Love is the outpouring of one's whole person, holding nothing back, contracepting nothing, but giving completely over. That's love. God is love, we are told in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. And in the end, only love is what's left of you if you make it to heaven. Because if you're going to be with God in the beatific vision forever, you're going to have to be perfected, purified, refined in His love, tested. But we can't leave our brothers and sisters standing on the street corner. We can't leave them in our workplaces, in our homes, in our families. We can't just accept this, this membership and to be grafted onto the vine of Jesus Christ and just let everybody go. It's just me and you, Jesus. I mean, this is a personal relationship, Lord. Just me and you. Really. A good father will always incorporate his children in the work of the family. Oh man, just today I was mowing the lawn. And I asked, my, I asked my daughter first, Mary, go in the backyard, pick up all that stuff and put them away so I can mow. And I, I get busy and I'm mowing. I look and, man, she didn't even finish the job. Stephen, go finish the job that I sent Mary to do. All right, great. I'm mowing. I get back to, he didn't finish the job. I'll just do it myself. How easy is it for us to just do it ourselves? You think God needs us? You think he needs us to do anything for him? Why does he want you to do something for him? Because he loves you. Because he's your father. And he's a better father than I will ever be. 
and because he will incorporate his children as imperfect as they are into the work of the family. What is the work of the family? It is the salvation of souls. Zeal for souls, Lord. Give me zeal for souls. Let me see Jesus Christ in those whom I would never see it before. Let me look across the the table and look at my enemy and see you and love you. To be like God, to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, is to love even those who would persecute you. But that's impossible, Lord. I mean, that sounds great on a, on a prayer card. I mean, I get it. It sounds awesome. But there is no way I can pull that off. You can't do it on your own. John chapter 15. But when you abide in me, Jesus says, you can do all things. Because it's not you doing it. You should want to be the donkey of Jesus Christ. The fumbling fool of the Lord today. Because if that's all you accomplish, we'll praise you, Jesus, I've done something good. Because I've just simply got out of the way. Give your fiat, your yes to our Lord, and be his martyrs. Notice the pattern. The angels say, go. From Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. Why? Because the kingdom has come. And it truly is a son of David who sits on this throne. Because David, his throne was in Jerusalem. And his tribe was Judea. And his nation was Israel or Samaria. And he ruled over the kingdoms of the earth. Although it wasn't perfectly seen. Because we are called to be a kingdom of priests. John tells us in Revelation chapter 1 that we have been made into a kingdom of priests, which reminds us of Exodus chapter 19, when God pulls the people out of slavery and bondage in Egypt. He consecrates to himself the firstborn of every house and the entire peoples to be a kingdom of priests, well before Exodus 32 and the golden calf. Well before there were anything like a, uh, the, the, the priest serving in the temple or the tabernacle, every firstborn male of every home was a priest. And every tent, every home was the tabernacle of God. They were a kingdom of priests. They were God's firstborn. So forget about the rest of them, right? I mean, the Egyptians, the Philistines, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Hittites and the Medo-Persians and the Greeks and the Romans, all of them. Just me and you, Lord. Just me and you. If we're his firstborn, and we are in the new Jerusalem, in the new Israel, the church, the ecclesia of God, we are his firstborn. What does that make them? That means that they're his children too. The problem is they've been scattered to the winds of the earth. And God loves them and wants them in his family. He wants them back. They've turned their hearts from him. They've gone to their wiles and their ways. Licentiousness, idolatry. They worship the wealth and the material possessions of this world, forgetting that their value is to bring apart, bring the goodness of all mankind. 
And we worship ourselves and our own ability to do stuff. For, you know, if the church could just sit down and off to the side, we'll take care of it. We don't need you to do anything. We have been called to be his martyrs, his witnesses, his messengers, to bring back his other wayward children. Because this is a family. You know, our families are messed up. If you have a perfect family, raise your hand. Because I want to talk to you about it. My family is as messed up as anybody's. Trust me. Dysfunction junction. Right? You know what I'm saying? Amen? Yeah. Dysfunction junction. But what happens when I get to heaven, if I ever get there, please, Lord Jesus? If I ever get there and I'm standing there going, all right, let me in. I did it. High five. What do you mean, where's my brother and sister? But I'm here. I got myself here. What do you mean, where's my wife and kids? Look, I didn't get that memo. Did you get that memo? I didn't get that memo. We're supposed to bring friends? I thought it was me and you, Lord. I thought this was a personal thing going here. What's going to happen when we stand there that day? And we don't have company with us. And he's going to say, you know, Joe, Houston was kind of a messed up town. I don't know if you figured that out. Maybe you just ignored the headline news every day. I mean, the Amber Alert thing kicking off almost every day. The sinfulness that ran amok in your town. But God that you is, Joe, I believe I sent you, didn't I? Didn't he send you and you and you? Do you think there's a plan B for Houston? You think if we just don't do our job, God's got a backup plan? Just waiting in the wings, because they'll do it if we can't. Or do you think you're the church and that he sent you because your family is hurting? They're dying. They're suffering. Not just of disease and poverty, but of apathy. We must pray for the gift of the Holy Spirit. But don't hold on to it as it's just you and Jesus. But relish in God's presence in your life. Praise you, Jesus, for coming upon us in a mighty way. But Lord, if I get scared, if I'm a coward, kick me in the butt, Lord, and get me out those doors. Give me the strength to share you with at least one other person today, Lord. Just one other person. I mean, I don't even know what I'm going to say, but Lord, just please give me what I need. Come, Lord Jesus. You want a better tomorrow? Live for Christ right now. Learn your faith. Live your faith. And share that faith with someone else. Amen? 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 Amen. Be his martyrs to the ends of the earth. Thank you.